Welcome to the Digital Infrastructure Fund podcast. This is the podcast where we are discussing what is digital infrastructure. And we explicitly focus on people who have been given grants from the Digital Infrastructure Fund. Today on the podcast, I, Rich Litauer, hello everyone, have the privilege and pleasure of talking to Elisa Lindinger. Elisa is joining me from her home in Berlin, where she is a co-founder of Super, pronounced Super, although it has three R's and it's not Super, although it could be, where she has previously wrapped up a research grant from the original cohort of the Digital Infrastructure Fund, which was funded by Sloan and by Ford. This was a co-grant, I believe, with Catherine Maya and possibly others. We'll hear about that in a second. But for now, that is the context. Elisa, how are you doing today? Hi, Richard. I'm great. Thank you for having me today. Thank you for coming on the show. So before we get into IDE, Implicit Development Environments, which was your grant title, I'm super excited to hear about it. I want to hear a bit more about who you are, what super is, and how you got to this place. At the time that we thought about applying for a grant from Ford and Sloan for IDE for this project, I was actually part of a project called Prototype Fund, which is a funding program in Germany that is targeted at individual software developers who work on public interest tech in the broadest sense. So this is also the background of the project, not just the background of myself. We realized at that time that we tried to reach out to, well, data literacy people, civic tech folks, and also people who work on digital infrastructure in the public interest. But we realized that we didn't reach them quite as well. And we wanted to find out what the reason was and if they had any needs or values or practices, perhaps, that made it harder for them to apply with the prototype fund and with funding in general. So this is where I come from, working for a funding program. I have since then founded an organization in Berlin. It's the ominous Superlab. So Superlab, you're a co-founder of Superlab. Who have you co-founded it with? I co-founded Superlab in 2019 with Julia Kleuber, and she was also part of the grant, actually. So we worked together on one half of the project, which resulted in the report Roadwork Ahead. And uh, yes, that was what we were working on at the time. And Katharina Meyer had another report, and I believe she also will be on this show later. I hope so. We have that scheduled. It should be very fun to talk to her as well. At Super, what do you focus on today? Super works at this notorious intersection of society, digital technologies, and politics. So I guess it fits very well with also the IDE project and its premise. We have a feminist perspective on these issues, an intersectional feminist perspective. So we really focus on just technology, on just digital solutions for society. And we try not to follow this common narrative of economics, of innovation for innovation's sake. Excellent. I would like to hear more about that, but maybe on another podcast. For now... That's some good background, so we know a bit more about what you're doing and where you come from. Now, your grant was called Implicit Development Environments. I believe you've put it online at implicit-development.org for those who are interested in looking at it while you're listening. Can you describe to me what the main thrust of the grant was? What was it? The idea was to 
take some time out of our work at the Prototype Fund where you're kind of caught up in day-to-day -day struggles and have these conversations with developers, with communities who work on public digital infrastructure to figure out together in a kind of an interview, in a communication setting, how funders and grants do not live up to their expectations from the perspective of these communities. So this is what we wanted to look at. And then also do the back check, how perhaps do the values of these projects or the goals of these projects not perform well in the metrics of funders? How did you perform? Did it work up to expectations? I would leave that to others to decide, but we did have a series of really interesting conversations with projects from different parts of the world. Also projects that are very differently organized. We talked to the notorious one person developer who has been maintaining a project for years and years on end. We also talked to really well organized legal entities and people who representing them. We also talked to these grassroots collectives. So these were really interesting conversations we had. And personally, I learned a lot from them. So I have to thank the people who talked to us for opening up to me. And I believe that people who look at the report find something in there as well. How many people did you interview? We interviewed 26 people in total. Okay. And was this a quantitative review or qualitative review? How did that work in terms of breakdown? Did you have like a survey or were these just hour-long videos that you recorded and typed up? Well, this was before the pandemic, so we could actually meet in person. There were times Whoa. when that was still possible and we really enjoyed it in hindsight now. So we did talk to them and we actually had an organization that helped us set up the interview process, also the research methodology. That organization was Simply Secure, who are based both in the US and also have an office in Germany. So it was very interesting and drawing from there expertise. We, we profited a lot from that. And uh, they helped us design an interview, basically a guideline that we went through with the people that we interviewed. But we were like, we could take it as the answers came in, we could spotlight certain things. So it was not so much a qualitative thing, but more a human-centered approach towards having these interviews. I was thinking while you were describing it, that it sounds very simply secure. They do excellent work. Georgia Bullen um, is main person I know there, but also Errol Fox just started working there, which is super exciting. They also have a current grant, which is being run right now in the current cohort, where they're doing very similar work, looking at human-centered responses to what digital infrastructure is. I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes. That was probably a very bad summary. And whoever heard that, please go look it up later. But they do have a current grant going on. So that's exciting that you got to work with them. So now that you've interviewed people about their expectations for what they're doing, what were the main findings that you found based on these conversations you had? I'd say that the first insight that came up was that there are no easy answers. And I know that this is super basic when it comes to research, but the scene and the community that works on these very different, very diverse solutions, they don't follow the same logic necessarily. So we tried to figure out certain types. I'm trying to navigate around the word persona here of projects to kind of break down what the extremes of the needs would be. While, of course, it was clear to us that few of the people that we talked to actually fitted one of those roles 100%, but it helped us break down the, the differences, the blurry lines in the answers that we've got. One of the questions I have in response to 
there are no simple answers, which I always agree with. And that sounds, yes, it is cliche, but it is true. Is that the, one of the purposes of scientific exploration and understanding things in research is actually to classify objects and to s- decide who they are and to what blocks they fit. Were there any findings you had which could, say, help a developer out there with knowing where they fit more generally in the more you know fuzzy classification scheme? Or were there takeaways for people who may want to know, oh, I actually fit in multiple boxes and therefore I can do X? Of course, we identified four different roles that we typified, starting from the individual developer who is out there doing their things, which we call the one-person shop, like being very involved in a network, but working individually. Then we have the collective that is a network of individuals, of freelancers of, or of volunteers who work together towards a shared goal, but with very different modes of engagement and without a clear organization behind them, or I don't know, like there is a hierarchy and there's often also no decision-making process that is lined out clearly. We then have the more professional end of the spectrum where we have clear organizations that do have a governance structure, that do have a mission statement and all these things. So I guess between these extremes is where the people fall in. But what we also found is that a few developers actually only contribute to one project. So with these different projects, they might take up very different roles and very different understandings of their own work. And this can also lead to friction because the role they might have in one project and with other common understandings that they share with people in these projects, they might not necessarily be able to transfer that to another project with a different organization structure. Which makes a lot of sense. Now, the main audience for your research was funders, correct? So that they could in the future, know how to best deal with developers of digital infrastructure. Did you have any advice for funders when looking at these projects and trying to figure out, okay, who should I fund? How should I work? How should I ask them to set up their developmental processes? How should I enforce governance at these projects? Was that the sort of question you were trying to frame in the research at the end? Absolutely. This is what we ended up doing. So we collected a set of insights that try to formulate the specifics of these communities while taking into account also the different roles. So this is really how we kind of drew the things apart and try to outline, okay, these projects typically need that and these projects typically need that. With another layer added, this is what Project X might think they need, but in fact, it might also be worth looking at this issue, whether there is a solution. For example, governance structures and decision-making, because when it comes to money, more money, more problems, as you say. So funding might actually be a challenge for a project to deal with, which is why many, especially these kind of collective structures, shun it mostly, even though they might need it most. And based on that, we formulated a set of insights and recommendations to funders, how they can navigate that, how they might want to change their communication style to reach these projects better, what they can do to strengthen their ties and how to improve their support in general towards these different roles and connected to this set of insights. There's a limited amount of funders in the world. You're also interested in aiming at community leaders as well. That is correct, because I believe that being clear about your own understanding, how you work and who you want to work with and which skills you might need in your collective or in your network, I believe that is important to reflect upon when you apply for a grant. Excellent. So thinking about this work and how it applies directly to developers and communities and projects. One of the questions I have is how does that directly apply to 
digital infrastructure projects? How are you making sure that all of this is in support of digital infrastructure in general, not just say an open source community that needs to get a bit more funding and maybe improve their governance models? Let me highlight one of the key insights that we had to maybe contextualize that question a bit. I believe that even in open source funding, funders tend to ask questions such as, you know, scale about innovation. Like, are there similar projects that have already been worked on that are already out there? And why do we need another alternative? When it comes to digital infrastructure, these questions need to change. Like there is a more of a conservative approach to funding, I believe. There is also a strong focus on cooperating and collaborating because we need to talk about standards, about common issues, about projects that work with a different baseline of libraries and, and so on. So there is much less competition. There should be much less competition. There should also be metrics targeted at success, at usage and so on. And I believe this is what funders need to understand to support digital infrastructure projects in a more meaningful way. I like that. It brings me back to, I guess I don't fully understand human-centered design and human-centered approaches. Because to me, it seems like a really nice word to say, oh, yes, let's think about how we do things without putting things into blocks or clear categories. Let's do the opposite of what Silicon Valley is doing. I wonder how that breaks down and how that functions really well. Say when you are a funder and you have 20 projects in your portfolio and you need to figure out which ones should get money next year. Can you help me understand how human-centered design or approaches work in that sort of setting? So from what I saw, individuals are stronger in projects that are tied to digital infrastructure than to your average, I don't know, top-level layer application, your LibreOffice, for example. So individuals are strong there. Individuals make decisions because there is so much of a lack of decision-making structures of governance in the field. So to reflect on your own funding approaches and see how they impact the individual that in the end will make that application or that decision to not apply for your grant, I believe that's very important for funders to take into account. No, I like that, especially when you talk about the one person who you interviewed, you know, the, the kind of person who was running a project in the basement in Wichita, Kansas, who we always love to mention. Fascinating work. So where did this work go? What happened after you did the interviews and then wrote up a nice PDF? Where did you put it? Where has it gone since? The report is online and we actually do have two versions of it. So one of it is a, a clickable online web version that has some very nice GIFs hidden like in between. So maybe if you want to game the whole thing, you know, just click yourself through our insights and recommendations and find those lovely illustrations that were also made possible by the grant. And I believe it's important that if you talk about technology, you know, to give it an image that is not necessarily tied to technology to, I don't know, make the connection that digital infrastructure really is connected to real life out there of real people. This is the one project version online. The other one is a classical PDF that you can download and uh, read as you go. So these are the two things that, that we published. We also had a blog where we tried to work in the open and publish project updates because I believe that is also important as a practice. And it also gave us the opportunity to highlight a few more 
unusual things that might have come up in the interviews that we held or in the conferences that we attended. Again, this was way before the pandemic. So we actually were there in person at conferences, sometimes for the first time. It was very exciting. And so this is also something that was really nice to document these little snippets, these half-baked thoughts, and also to still preserve them and just, you know, publish them because it's just a blog. It's nothing scientific. It's nothing academic. We just put it out there and there it is for you to find. I actually wonder uh, when you're writing those blog posts and you're working in public and going through the whole project, what surprised you the most? What was like the most interesting finding that was just like, wow, we did not expect to find this at all? Or maybe what stories did you come across that you didn't expect to come across? Things that didn't really fit in the report, but were there anyway. One of the points would be that funding, even for infrastructure, which is such a, a technical term, right? that it is seen as highly political by the people who work on these projects. And they reflect a lot upon who to accept money from, whether they even want to accept donations sometimes, or whether they want to work with a big funder. Because they have their own agenda and they question that and they are not very certain about what those agendas are. And after I checked, I believe the funders themselves are not very open about what their agendas are. So it, it sounds very nice to be distributing money, but of course there are strings attached. And people are aware of this and they reflect on this. And this is where kind of a distrust comes in that pervaded our interviews in a way. So something I've been thinking about a lot as well. I mean, not just thinking about large Chinese telecom trying to give money to a random project, but also thinking about, oh, should I take money from this VC fund and maybe I don't want to have a VC fund and then well, that's going to pressure me to sell, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All three of you who are working on this are German speakers. I don't know exactly where from, but somewhere in the, the German speaking motherlands. Did you come across any issues with people? Issues, maybe this too strong word, but any tendencies towards wondering where funding came from or things like security or national security or questions like that, which participants were thinking about when they're thinking about where they're taking funds? Maybe that's not a very eloquent question, but I hope you understand what I was trying to say. No, I love it. So yes, of course, that question came in. And that, of course, connects to the question of political funding. So while some projects actually said that one of the biggest tech funders out there, the Open Technology Fund, would be unacceptable to them. Others viewed their work as really crucial to the entire sector because, of course, it is money that comes through some steps from the U.S. government. And, of course, that is loaded, especially, I guess, outside of the U.S. On the other hand, also a German fund or a philanthropy that kind of derives the money from social injustice, if you are honest, this, of course, is also a context that people worry about and think about. So yes, this discussion did happen. There is another aspect to this layer, and that is the question of how funding decisions are made, or rather, which kind of, which focus points are highlighted through funding. So because infrastructure is interconnected, right? You don't just, you know, take out one pipe and repair it and everything is shiny again. You have to look at the entire system. And this is the same, even more so, I believe, with digital infrastructure. So how do funders make strategic decisions about which projects to support or not? Do they encourage competition in the field or do they strengthen one certain library or one standard over others? And do they actually anticipate decisions that should be made by other people or in other circumstances by 
deciding to hand out that grant. I think this is really important. And this is also something that came up a couple of times. It does sound like you asked more questions and maybe found more things to ask than you found answers to things, which is excellent. That's one of the points of having a research grant is looking out and seeing what's out there. What can we look at? Or how can we make this whole field better? One of the questions I have before we start wrapping up is since making this grant, are there any documents or resources that you would suggest to others that's related to this sort of work? Or is there any work you're working on now that you would like to talk about, which you think may help people, may help inform funders, community leaders, or digital infrastructure projects members who are interested in learning more about how to think about where money comes from, how to match expectations of funders, and so on? There have been a couple of publications that have come out. Of course, I have to mention Nadia Ekbar's report, Roads and Bridges, which also inspired the title of our report, Roadwork Ahead. There is a rather recent publication by Nias Tenova with the title, This is Not How We Imagined It, Technological Affordances, Economic Drivers and the Internet Architecture Imaginary, which I believe touches on the value of the social dynamics aspect of the whole ecosystem. And maybe there's something that I just came across and it's actually on my stack of books to read during my upcoming vacation. And this is a, a whodunit, a thriller that takes place at a BSD conference. And I believe it could give really good insights uh, about the whole ecosystem as well. It's called Git Commit Murder. The title alone is intriguing and I'm pretty <laughs> sure the motive is somewhere in the licenses, right? It has to be. <laughs> I don't want to read that. Oh, it was only a matter of time. Why didn't I think of that and write that sooner? That is amazing. Git commit murder. Wow. <laughs> wow. Who committed it? I love it. All right. That's hilarious. It's <laughs> not coming at all. All right. Cool. I'm going to buy that immediately. Thank you so much. Excellent. It's okay. open source. You can download it for free. It, uh, so. <laughs> of course you can. Of course you can. That's amazing. Awesome. Also, Nielsen Over's work is great. So is Nadia Eggballs. Thank you for mentioning them. That is very exciting. And I'm looking forward to seeing, well, mainly reading that thriller book. So now to come to one of my last questions, which I'm asking everyone who is on this podcast, what does digital infrastructure mean to you? What does it mean? So I already mentioned that Super is working at the intersection of technology and society. So this is also where I would put my definition of digital infrastructure. For me, it is the digital technologies that make our societies function in a way that benefits humans. This is very meta, I know, but I also believe that infrastructure and its definitions are somehow evasive. It's hard to pin them down. So this is my go for it. Love it. All right. Thank you so much. For any audience members who may be interested in following along with your work and your future work, we know that you founded Super, which is S-U-P-E-R-R-R, one, two, three R's. Where else can they find you on the internet? Well, I am on Twitter. You can find me there as ElizaBot with a zero instead of an O, trying to go the nerdy way. And you can also hit me up via email. My contact details are on elisalindinger.de. So that's ElizaBot with a Z, but ElizaLindinger.de with an S, for those of you who are curious. Excellent. And you can also find more about this report at implicit-development.org. Eliza, thank you so much for coming on here. It was great to have you. 
Looking forward to hearing more work come out and looking forward to seeing some of the stuff that you've highlighted here implemented in funders guides for digital infrastructure in the future. So again, thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. <laughs>